Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Why should God answer your prayers? Most people have an incorrect assumption about the answer to this question. Most people would say something like, well, because I went to church this week, or because, uh, you know, he knows my heart is right, or he knows that I repented of something that I've really been struggling with, and I've kind of gotten on top of that, and so now my life is better, and that's why God should answer my prayers. And all those things are, are good things. I would encourage you to do all of those things. That, that, that's good. But, but hopefully what I'm about to say to you next will relieve you and maybe even excite you. God is not answering any prayer based on you. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but... That's a relief to me. That means that my life is not put through the grid of, well, I was going to answer that prayer of Brett's, but he's been such a knucklehead this week that I decided that I wasn't going to answer that prayer. It, it doesn't happen like that. God is not basing the answer to prayer on us. God is basing his answers to prayer on him. And if you look at any prayer in the Bible, what you will see is that that prayer generally includes, usually somewhere at the beginning, the, the naming of God, the, 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 the glorification, the character, you know, the prayer is based on the character and the name and the, the glory of God. Oh God, you are. They don't start with, oh God, what a mess I am. That's not how they start. They start the prayers with, you know, you are. You are holy. You are awesome. You are exalted. So what we learn is that the names of God become very, very important in prayer. When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's he saying there? He's just exalting God's name. He's, he's, he's lifting it up. He's elevating it. It's, it it's, you start with the names of God. You don't start with your name or your request. You start with the character, the nature, and the name of God. So Paul said this in Philippians, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Prayer is based on authority. It's a, it's a badge that says, Daddy said so. If you remember when you were younger, I used to have this. Um, I had brothers and sisters, and my dad would say, Brett, go call Scott in from the yard. It's time to eat supper. And I would go out, and I would say, hey, Scott, come on in. It's time to eat supper. Well, he might have come or he might not because it was me and he didn't have to listen to me. And if I went back inside and, you know, we waited for a few minutes for Scott to show up and Scott hadn't showed up yet, dad would say, go out there and tell him to come in. You tell him I said so. And then I go out and I say, hey, dad said to come in the house. Okay, now Scott's coming in because that's got a different authority than it does when Brett says come in the house. You understand that? That's kind of what, what prayer looks like. Daddy says so. There is an authority. There is a name attached to it. You have the name and the character of your God that, that you can use when you pray. So when you pray, you start by talking about how awesome God is. You use the names of God. Scripture gives us eight covenant names of God, and all eight of them can be found in one little passage of Scripture it happens to be a six-verse passage of Scripture that you are probably very, very familiar with. It comes out of the Psalms. Um, 
it's the 23rd Psalm. And, you know, you don't have to be a strong churchgoer. A lot of people are familiar with the 26th Psalm. Um, I'd like to read it. I'd like for us to read it. I'd like for you to read it out loud with me. And I've, I've put this up in the, the New King James because it gives you that old, you know, the old King James flavor without just being a little wonky. You know what I'm saying? So if you would, read this with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, that's beautiful the way you did that. Now, within those six verses are eight characteristics or eight names of God. Let's look at it. It starts off, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not just a shepherd. He's not just the shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. That's what I want for each and every one of you. I want you to come into a place where you see God as your shepherd, personal to you, the one who looks out for you and takes care of you. He wants to be your shepherd. God wants a personal relationship with you. So we start by saying, God, you are my shepherd. Now, with each one of these, I want to give you a corresponding Hebrew or Jewish covenant name. And this will kind of make sense as we go. Uh, this is kind of a name that goes with whatever it is I'm giving you. So we're talking about he is my shepherd. The, the covenant name there would be Jehovah Reah. Jehovah Reah, which means you are my pastor. Now, I, I wake up and I say, God, you are my pastor. Now, I am a pastor, but I also have a pastor. And I talk about him all the time. His name is L.D. Campbell. And L.D. Campbell has been my pastor for over 40 years. And L.D. has walked with me through things. He's prayed with me through things. He's, he's been my confidant, my counselor, my cheerleader, my pastor. He's, he's given me advice. Um, you know, I can't imagine where my life would be if, if I hadn't had L.D.'s influence on my life. Many of the things that you've heard me teach or say in here are things that I grew up listening to L.D. say. He taught me how to do it. And so um, every soul needs to be fed. Every soul needs to be cared for and pastored. Every Christian needs a place to call home. Now, you don't have to call Cross Lane home. I would hope that, that you come here and that you enjoy it and you feel a kinship and that you would want to call this home. But um, I just want to make, you know, I want you to go somewhere. If it's not here, I want you to go somewhere. You know, we, we really do mean it when we say we're not competing with all the other churches in town. Okay, we realize that we're, we're not the, you know, we may not be the flavor for everybody. There, there are people, there are other churches that might be able to reach search, be able to reach certain people better than we can. And there are some people maybe we can reach better than maybe another church does, but we're all on the same team. We're all trying to do the same thing. We do not compete. When, when the other churches succeed, when the other churches are successful, 
we like that. We, we, I want that, okay? We root for the other churches, and, and any chance we get to help the other churches, we try to do that. So this idea that people think that they, they don't need church or they don't need to go to church, I don't know where that comes from, but that is just a poison. That is a poisonous idea. You need to commit to a church. You need to have a pastor. You, you need someone that can watch over your soul. One of the saddest things that I experience as a pastor is when the funeral home calls me, and, and it's, you know, it's one of the guys that, you know, Gary or one of the guys, and he says, hey, Brett, uh, I've got a family here that doesn't have a church home and doesn't have a pastor, and they don't have anybody to bury this person. I'm just like, my goodness. I mean, how do you... I can't imagine going through life and not having a, a pastor, not having a church, not, not having somebody to, to help with some of life's more difficult things. And, and as we know, you know, life has a spiritual aspect to it. And yet, there are people that don't really see that as something that they need to do. Um, you, you, you need a place where you can have a pastor and a, a home and people that love you. You need to come to church if for no other reason than to put up with Christians, right? I mean, you're praying for patience and Lord help me love people. Well, come on in and try and love us and see how that goes. I mean, we, we need each other. We, we need to be around each other. And it just floors me that certain people think that that's not something that's important for them. Everybody needs that. But better than all that, you have a God who, as your chief shepherd, desires a relationship, a personal relationship with you. He wants a personal relationship with you. John chapter 10, verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So you wake up in the morning and you say, Father, thank you for being my pastor. Guide me, speak to me. Let me, let me hear your voice in a way that, that only you can speak to me and let me, let me be able to discern and know that it's your voice and help me to follow that voice. That's, that's what we're talking about. The verse goes on. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God, because you are my shepherd, you take care of everything that I need. Now, here's the quality. God is our provider. God is our provider. The Jewish covenant name is Jehovah Jireh. You may have heard that before. It means he supplies everything I need. Now, the tendency is for you to be your own provider. That, that's that's kind of where we get to. Let me give you some great advice. Don't do that. Don't get to a place in your life where you think you have to provide for you and your family. You don't want to trust in, the, in your riches. You want to trust in the one who has riches and, and freely gives them to you. When, when you are the provider, your job becomes the focus. When you are the provider, your achievements become the focus of your life. Now, there is nothing wrong with working hard. I want you to work hard. I think it's, it reflects well on Christ. It reflects well on Christians. I encourage that. I'm just saying don't trust in it. Don't, don't trust in, well, you know, I work hard and I make a living for my family. Because what happens when you start doing that is your money starts to possess you instead of you possessing your money. Be careful of leaning into riches for your life. D did you know that statistically, statistically, the more money someone has, the less generous they are. Did you know that? Now, 
I've, I know some generous people, and that has not been my experience with them. It's the, the, some of the people that I've known have been very, very generous to, to Cross Lane, to me, um, to the city. I mean, I, I, you know, I know some people like that, but generally speaking, statistically, the more money someone has, the less willing they are to share it. Um, you know what? You cannot be financially secure, and you hear that and you think, oh, I, I bet you I could be, Brad, I bet I, I could be financially secure. Well, let me just ask you a question. How much money would you need to make to secure your life against all possible occurrences? How much money would you need to make to prepare your, your life and yourself and your family for every possible scenario that might rear its ugly head in your world? And the answer is, unless your name is Gates or Musk or Bezos, uh, the answer to that would be, well, probably more money than I have right now. Because the fact of the matter is, you, you cannot prepare financially for all of the things that could crop up in your life. Statistically, the people with less money are the ones who are most generous because they know that money should not be and can't be their hope. So when you make yourself the provider, you start to grab for things. You get, you, you get insecure and you start, you, you know, it makes you want to take things maybe that aren't necessarily, you should maybe think twice before you do that, which reminds me of a joke that I want to tell you. It's about it's about Boudreaux. Boudreaux was a Cajun. He lived in Louisiana. He had a, a wife named Marie. And Marie shoplifted a can of peaches at the local grocery store. And she got caught. And so she was going to have to go to court. And uh, Boudreaux decided to make the court date with her. So he, he gets up and gets dressed. And they go to court. And they get there. And the judge is in a real bad mood that day. Real bad mood. And, and the, the judge says, okay, Miss Marie, for every... For every peach that was in that can that you stole, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sentence you to a month in jail. A month in jail. And she said, he said, Miss Marie, how many peaches were in that can? And she said, well, Yana, there were four peaches in that can. <laughs> and he said, okay, then, then four months in jail is what I'm going to sentence you to, four months in jail. At which point, Boudreaux raised his hand and he said, uh, Yana, there was also a can of peas that she stole too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think Boudreaux wanted a vacation from Miss Marie. Philippians chapter 4 says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm not going to lean on anything but God to meet my needs. That's where we, we want to get to when we live our life. Then we come to this in, in, chat, in verse 2. He makes me lie down. I love that. If I don't lie down, God will make me lie down. You ever had that happen in your life where you're just going at a breakneck speed and you're like, I don't know how much longer I can keep this up, and God says, I'll take care of it, and you get sick? Or you get, you get you know, put in a circumstance where you need to slow down or he takes something away from you and you, know, you didn't expect it, but it's like everything kind of comes to a screeching halt. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Here's the third characteristic of God. He is our peace. He is our peace. I'm not looking to the bottle. I'm not looking to drugs. I'm not looking to another person. Counseling is good, but I'm not counting on counseling to fix it. God, I'm looking to you and you alone to be 
my peace. See, God doesn't have peace for you. Peace isn't something that God possesses. Peace is who God is. God is peace. And when you have God in your life, you have peace in your life. It's in his name. Isaiah says that Jesus is the prince of peace. The Jewish covenant name is, you may know this one, Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace. Some of you have come in here this morning and you're under a great amount of stress. Sometimes I watch you walk in and you're trying to hide it, but sometimes it's just written all over your face. There's something going on in your world and you're just stressed and you're trying to hide it from us but you don't do a very good job because sometimes it's just written all over your face that you're under stress. And I understand that. I've been through some stressful things in my life. I've gone through some hard times. Sometimes they're a product of my own stupidity, right? We all get stressed out by all kinds of different things. For some of us, it's work. For some of us, it's family. For some, it's finances, health, our kids. could be any number of things. But sometimes we put it on ourselves because we just added too much onto our life some of you are doing way too much in your world right now and your response to me would be well Brett I'm doing that because I can I can do it I can do it well listen to me not everything that is doable is sustainable okay not everything that's doable is sustainable you may be able to do it for a season but there's a lot of people that I see just keep adding more stuff to their life and they never take anything out you know, they're like, they're like uh, event hoarders. They just, um, when, if you've got a Friday off and, and someone calls you and says, hey, are you doing anything next Friday? When you look at your calendar, instead of saying, no, we don't have anything going on Friday, sometimes what we need to say is, well, we're kind of keeping Friday open just to have some breather. We're, 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 kinda, we're not going to do anything on Friday because we just need to slow down and, and breathe a little bit. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6 says this, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Now, the world's mantra seems to be, if one is good, two is better, right? How many of you remember an old product that used to be sold to men? It was a hair care product called Brill Cream. Remember Brill Cream? Do you remember the tagline for Brill Cream? A little dabble, do you? Now the great Theologian Buzzy Wilson, who is my dad, the great theologian Buzzy Wilson used to take that tagline and this is what he said, if a little dab will do you, a whole lot will do you a lot better. That was his, he kind of lived his life that way. If there's a little bit of glue that's necessary, he would put a lot of glue. Instead of one nail, he'd drive two nails. That's just kind of the way dad lived his life. He just, everything was, you know, if a little dab will do you, a, a whole lot will do you a lot better. If $1 is good, $2 is better. Some of you weren't sure that you could say that in church, right? It's like, well, I think the answer is, you know, it's like the, it's like the Sunday school answer. There, there are certain Sunday school answers in church. You, you, you know what I mean by that? Sunday school answers. So, you know, uh, a Sunday school teacher has this class of six-year-olds, and she sits them down and she says, now, class, what's brown and furry? and has big teeth in the front, walks on four legs, has a big bushy tail, eats nuts, and lives in a tree. Well, and the, all the kids are sitting there thinking, well, you know, I think I know the answer, but, you know, what's the, we're in Sunday school, so the answer's got to be, so this one little boy raises his hand, he said, 
Well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'll say Jesus, right? Because <laughs> we just think when we're in Sunday school that every answer is Jesus. So when I say $1 is good, $2 is better, well, it is. It's okay to say that. So, you know, if one activity is good, two activities a lot of times we think is better. If, if you know, if one child is good, two children are and you're like, no, 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 you're not tricking me. If one wife is good, two wives are wrong, is what that is, right? Wrong. So Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, you need to be praying that prayer to start your day. God, today you are my peace. And more than me leaning into anything else, more than me clinging to anything else, I just want to cling to you. You are the source of peace in my life. Only you can give it to me in perfect abundance. Then we come to that line in Psalm 23, verse 2. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. The word restores, the word we might use there is the word healed. It means it causes it to come back to the point from which it left. It literally means to return to the place of origin. You have a God who wants to bring back to you everything that's been stolen in your life by the devil. That's what God wants. He wants to bring it back. We could put a couple of different words in here, but we're going to use the word healer here. He is my healer. And while God is the physical healer, and he is, in fact, you know, there, once in a while you ask me to pray for somebody in your world. And more than once. Some of those people have been in dire circumstances and you would say we, they don't expect them to live. They, they think this is not going to end well. And there's one person on my mind right now that uh, just here recently has been in really, really bad shape. In fact, when I was asked to pray for them, the, the odds weren't good that they would live. And I just saw the other day where they're up and out of bed and they're on their feet and it's like, man, God did a miracle. I mean, it's the only way you can describe it. Bunch of Christian people have been praying for them and, and God has, has been gracious and, and given health and, and looks like they're going to be okay. And so God does that, but God not only heals our diseases, he heals that part of us that is diseased. right? Sometimes we just get diseased. It's a soul thing. Our soul isn't right. Our soul is worked up. Our soul is, is churning. And God comes along and he heals that. I was listening to a, an album the other day. My son Bennett <clears throat> is a guitar player. And he plays with a band. One of the bands he plays with is, is the, the, what they call the uh, Johnson Ferry Worship Band, the JF Worship Band. Um, they're out of Atlanta. And they cut an, a live album. So I'm listening to this live album. I'm listening to my son play on a live album. How cool is that? And I'm, I'm enjoying that, just listening to Bennett play. But then I heard this song that I'd never heard before. And it was called I Want the Healer. I would recommend it to you. You can find it on Spotify. The band is JF Worship, and the, the album is We Are. And the song is I Want the Healer. And, and the lyrics were this. I want the healer more than the healing. I want your heart, not just the feeling. More than a blessing, I want your presence. More than this world, I long for heaven. And I just thought, man, that is, that's everything that I think. That's everything that I 
I believe. That's, that's the way we need to be. The, the Jewish covenant name here is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha. He restores me. He returns me back to the point of origin. God wants to restore your soul. Jesus is our healer. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. See, God wants to heal more than just your physical sicknesses. He wants to heal your soul. Then we come to verse 3 of, of Psalm 23. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. You see, righteousness has a path. There's a right way to do something. There's a wrong way to do something. And we all make bad choices from time to time. So what we're praying is, God, you're not only my shepherd, you're not only my provider, you're not only my peace, not only my healer, you are my righteousness. You have given me a right standing with God. So look at me, because I want to say something to you that you need to hear this morning, okay? If you've given your life to Christ, and this is, this is why you should give your life to Christ, but if you've given your life to Christ, I want you to understand that everything you have ever done in your life is forgiven. That's good news, right? That's good news. Here, it gets better. Whatever's going on in your world today is forgiven. And this is the best part. Even things you haven't even done yet are already forgiven. I mean, that's an amen, okay? That's an amen. When you hear that, not only am I forgiven for what I have done, God has forgiven me for everything that I'm going to do. It's not like you've got to go work it off or, you know, you've got to seek God's approval or seek God's forgiveness. No, you are a forgiven person. That is the best news that you are ever going to get in your life. But not only does he make me righteous, he helps me to order my life so that my life is right. I love this line that, that I've heard Andy Stanley say so many times. Andy likes to say this thing, and I, it's true. He says, Jesus makes me better at life, and Jesus makes my life better. That's just a great way to put it. Why would you come to Jesus? Because Jesus will make your life better, and Jesus will make you better at life. So I, so, so I want to be on a path of righteousness. Now, the covenant name is a little tough to say. It's Jehovah Sidkenu. The, the T is silent. Jehovah Sidkenu. Uh, this, this, he, it means he works righteousness in my life. Now that word righteous or righteousness, a lot of times when people hear that, they start, you know, they hit the, like the snooze button. They think to themselves, you know, sounds boring. Sounds sterile. You know, I don't want a life like that. No, 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 no. When you live your life, if you lived it the way God wanted you to live it, your life would not be boring and your life would not be sterile. You would not have the same problems in life that you have now. If you're a young person, listen to me. This is wisdom speaking to you. The better decisions you make in your life, the wiser decisions you make in your life, the better your life is going to go. When you come up on something and you've got a decision to make, one of the grids you should run that through is, what would a wise person do in this situation? What would a righteous person do 
in this situation. Your life would be so much better if you would do that. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. And then we come to this in Psalm 23. This is verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, this is an interesting one. Giving you the covenant name here is going to be kind of strange because his name is there. There is his name. You say, Brett, what's his name? There. His name is there? Yes, there is his name. That's his name? Yep, there. So it sounds like, the, here's the best way to say it. He is my constant companion. He is my constant companion. If I go to the funeral home, he is there. If I go to the office, he is there. If I go to the hospital, he is there. If I'm on vacation, he is there. Wherever I am, that's where God is. He is here is the covenant name. Uh, it's Jehovah Shammah, which means he is always by my side. So there is no place that you can go that God is not with you. It comforts me to know that there's no place that I can go that God is not with me. When I was a, a, a youth pastor, right before I took this job, I was the youth pastor here. And I had a great youth group. My kids were awesome. I had some wonderful girls. And I had these four boys that were inseparable. And uh, one of them was a kid named Brian Sprague. Some of you may remember Brian. He was a football player for West Vigo High School. He was a senior football player for West Vigo High School. His senior year, their, their line, their offensive line, was pound for pound, inch for inch, bigger than the line of the, of the Indianapolis Colts. Can you imagine? A high school line. So Brian's this big strapping lad, mountain of a kid, right? And so if we went to uh, the Smokies, if we went down to Johnson Bible College, if I took them on a trip, we did CIY or a conference or something, I always felt safe when I had Brian next to me, right? Like nobody was going to mess with me when Brian Sprague was, was standing next to me. I just felt secure. I'm like, you know, nobody, look at him. Anybody going to mess with me as long as Brian's around? And if I ever felt insecure, I'd go, you know, just go stand next to Brian and, and I would feel better. Um, that's kind of how it is with God. You know, God is the security that you need when, you're, when you feel alone, when you feel like you don't know what to do, when you feel like you're kind of strung out and you're trying to make decisions and, God, what's going on? He is there. He has not left you. Somebody, I don't know who, but somebody walked in here this morning, and that's what you need to hear more than anything else. God is with you. You feel like you've been abandoned. You feel like nobody's watching. You feel like nobody knows. God is with you. He is here with you. You need to find the peace that comes from knowing that he is with you. He is there. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Every day we rise up and we say, God, I thank you for being there. I, I thank you for being a presence in my life. Jehovah Shammah, my constant companion. Psalm 23, verse 5, we go to the next one. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love this. My enemies want to pick a fight. 
And God says, you just go over there and sit in the corner and you get you something to eat. I'm going to take care of this. What, what, what this one is, is this is, God, you are my defender. You are my defender. The covenant name here is Jehovah Nisi, which means he is my banner of victory. He goes before me in every fight carrying a banner that says, we've already won this. This is ours. There's no reason to fret, no reason to worry. He goes ahead of you in every fight. Now, um, if you know me very well, you know that I'm a sports fan, and there are certain teams that I like. And um, I do not have the capability right now of digitally recording games, which is a problem because there's sometimes I have to miss, I'm going to have to miss a big game coming up uh, on candlelight nights, killing me. I'm um, not going to get to watch that game, but I'm doing candlelight, and that's awesome. But I used to have the ability to, to record some games. And, um, you know, whenever I would do that, I would, um, I would record the game, and I would try and go through the day and not have anybody tell me what the score was, which never worked, because somebody always would say something like, man, that was a great game, and they'd, they'd spill the beans and let me know that what the score was or something like that. Well, on this one particular night that I'm thinking of, um, I had all planned it out. You know, I was going to go do the ministry thing, and then I was going to come back that night and sit down and get myself something to eat and something to drink and just enjoy the game and, and watch it like it was live. But somebody had spilled the beans, and I knew the score. And I knew that my team had already won. And so as I'm sitting there watching this game, you know how when you watch a game, you go through seasons in the game where you get kind of filled with angst, like, oh, they're not doing very well, or they may lose, or, you know, they, they're playing horrible. Well, that happened. There were points in the game where I was like, man, they look awful right now. Or there was a point where I thought, how in the world did they win this game? Because it looks like they're going to lose. But the thing was, I never had a doubt as to the outcome because I already knew the score. I already knew who won the game. So I didn't have that, that angst that went with, oh, are they going to win? No, I already knew they were going to win. That's kind of what God does for us. He goes ahead of us. He goes ahead of us with a banner that says, hey, we've already won this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Then we come to verse 5 of Psalm 23. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Anoint means to... To, that he gives me a supernatural ability. It's kind of like God's hand on me. You know, when you, we would say, I am anointed. Not only are we anointed, our cup runs over. You, you would say, I have more than I need. That's really what that means. God makes sure that I have more than I need. Anointing is not just for pastors. I think we, we hear that word and we think, well, that's a word that's just reserved for pastors. No, that's a word for you. You are anointed. Your cup overflows. Whether you ever realize it or not, you have been anointed by God. There are certain things that God calls you to, that God wants for you. He has gifted you. He has given you the skills necessary to do whatever it is that he's called you to do. You have more than you need. That last characteristic is, he is my sanctifier. He is my sanctifier. Now, that's a big word. Covenant name here is even harder than that. It's Jehovah M. Kadesh. Jehovah M. Kadesh. And it literally means God has set me apart for something special. The way I would describe that to you is uh, sanctified means that, so, that it's been set apart. It's been made special in some way. 
If I had five rings and we laid them out on the table and they were all painted black and then we took one and we painted it red and then we set it down on the table, that red ring would stand out. You might say that it had been anointed or it had been sanctified. It had been set apart in some way, made special by its color. That's kind of what anoint means. Sanctified, that's what it means. I've been set apart. God has called you to something, every one of you. Whether you ever do it or not, you're called to it. You are anointed. Your cup runs over. First Peter chapter 2 says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are the reason he did it because he wants you to make a difference. You are anointed. So what does that sound like? That sounds like, God, I, I'm just, a, I'm just a, a kid from Kentucky. There's nothing special about me. But God, I, I'm leaning into you. I know that you have a calling on my life. I want to do the things that you call me to do. I don't, I don't always understand it. Sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm very good at it. But God, I'm going to depend on you, and I'm going to step into the anointing that you have for me because you have called me to something, and I don't want to let you down. That's what it sounds like to pray when you're recognizing the anointing, the calling of God on your life. So today, I call you to step into your anointing, step into your calling, step into that space that God wants you to be in and make a difference in this world and make a difference for God. Now, ordinarily, I close us in prayer, and I'm going to do that this morning, but the prayer comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, and so the closing prayer is just me reading a scripture. I'd like for you to bow your head, and I want you, I just let this wash over you. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.